Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar. Thanks for listening into another week. And it is a bit of a milestone for the Commodity Conversations podcast. It's our 150th episode. And joining us for that is Anthony Close from Karawira in Western Victoria. So the Close family have been breeding merinos for 50 years and cattle for 40. And Anthony is one of three sons managing the farm. And as I'm sure you can imagine, that's bringing plenty of innovation and new ideas to the business. And Anthony is very passionate about merinos. The whole family is really, and is what we're going to hear about today. Not just what's changed in markets, but how the way they look at their farming business has changed and some of the ways that they've brought in new ideas, new tools and data into the everyday. Before we jump into the episode though, lamb, sheep and wool markets all ended the week slightly softer. For wool, buyers were pretty reluctant from the start, but bidding was stronger on the last day of sale, particularly for 19.5 micron and coarser wool, which is often a pretty good sign for next week. Supply seems to be driving the price moves in lamb and sheep markets at the moment, with last week's improvements on the back of a sharp drop in yardings, with early reports suggesting that bigger numbers of young lambs were finding their way to Victorian yards this week. Restocker lamb prices are still very strong though and, and Angus had a look at lamb trading scenarios on Mercado this week so make sure you have a look at his report there. Finally, our sponsor for this episode is Karawera and they're holding their annual bull sale for 2021 on the 1st of October with over 100 Senegas bulls and 7 Angus up for sale which will be held at Bar Colden sale yards and also online at Auctions Plus. So the very tough, adaptable bulls bred to perform in all Australian conditions and they are all fully performance recorded as well. So head to their website for a preview and contact Anthony for more details. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll hand over to Robert Herman. Thanks, Olivia. Yes, this is a really special episode for the Commodity Conversations podcast because uh, way back in February of 2019, I think it was, uh, we started off. And one of the things we like to, or we know that happens in agriculture, and we certainly like to um, encourage, is long-term relationships. And uh, we've had a, Mercado has had a very, very long-term relationship with um, the Karawira fa- stud and the close family. But we also have a long relationship on Commodity Conversations because Karawira was our first ever podcast sponsor. So we thought on this special occasion, why don't we, go back to our old mates, back to Karawira and back to the Close family. And so today uh, I'm going to have a chat to Anthony Close. So Anthony, firstly, welcome to Commodity Conversations. Thanks for being firstly a long-time partner of Mercado, but also a long-time sponsor of the podcast. Um, welcome to Commodity Conversations. Uh, thanks, Rob. Thanks for having us. And yeah, um, we've, like you said, agriculture is about long-term um, partnerships. And the one that between Kawira and Mercado or Ag Concepts um, has been a, a good one over a long period of time. And uh, yeah, it's made personally us a lot of money making good decisions out of um, the intelligence that you guys bring to the, bring to the table. Oh, that's very nice of you to say that. I, uh, I'll send you some money for that advert uh, next <laughs> week. Um, it's interesting looking back and, and what I wanted to do probably today was just talk about some of the changes that have happened. Let, let's just talk about the changes since the Commodity Conversations podcast has been going. 
and I know a lot's happened in your situation, but on a broader scale, way back in 2019, we were in the middle of a drought. Um, it was, um, you know, it was a really bad drought that affected, you know, New South Wales and Queensland mainly, but it certainly impacted on prices. And I'll, I'll just give you a couple of numbers here, Anthony. Um, talking about the young cattle indicator, uh, in this week it settled in at 1,029, but back in February of 2019, it was 465 cents. I mean, we, back then, we, you had a lot of cattle, you were committed to the cattle market, but I guess you could never have imagined that the market was going to get to these sort of levels. No, certainly not to the, to the highs it was at the moment. Um, but probably if I take you back, Rob, further than that, back to 2015, when we're in another sort of national drought, um, and your great self actually tipped that the uh, EYCI was going to go to 600 back then, um, which was back then it was uh, sort of unforeseen territories uh, but it just shows the value of watching markets and and that where we knew we knew that um, there was a national excess of cattle the herd was really low and once the rains broke that it was only really going to go one way um, so yeah 2019 was really just another example of of the same scenario happening all over again and yeah i think the the rains that have come and the strength of the seasons that have come after it um, has driven huge restock of demand and yeah just listening to people down at Mortlake uh, selling yesterday you know it's seven eight nine dollars live weight for young cattle um, it's just phenomenal prices really. Yeah you make a good point I, I should clarify that uh, it wasn't actually me who figured out the 600 cents it was Augusto <laughs> Semeroth who, who was with us from and he was out here from Brazil then and has since gone on to uh, I think <laughs> what he does is work in world agricultural finance now and done very well but you make a good point. It also tells us, Anthony, that in agriculture, in you know, thing, there's ups and downs, but uh, it's about sticking to the game. And I know, you know, your third generation, I think, on your farm, uh, your father and your grandfather, you know, stuck to their knitting and, uh, and have built, you know, a really good enterprise now. Just tell us a little bit about the diversity of what you do on Karawira. Yeah, so... Like you said, diversity. We probably made our main money off the back of the merinos. Um, ran a lot of sheep through the through the eighties and nineties um, when wool was good, and when wool was king, we were we were, had the biggest, heaviest, lowest micron cutting sheep. Um, we didn't have a didn't have a uh, run of shearers at the front knocking down to get a pen. I can assure you of that. But um, yeah, I mean, we had our eyes on the prize there. We were doing prime lambs and all that back in the day, and Dad brought cattle in to tr try and diversify. Um, so having a bit of uh, eggs in all baskets has been something that we've been we've really tried to do and at the moment we've we've got yeah we've got merino so we've got wool as well as half of our used goat or prime lamb um, so we've got yeah prime lamb mutton as well as wool as well as having cattle where we've got um, we've got some some angus wagyu stuff as well as some stud cattle um, so we've sort of got that high-end wagyu market as well as that grinding 90 cl beef um, as well so um, yeah we, we sort of got our hands in a lot of different different pies, but it allows us to adapt and, and move forward um, using teams like Mercado and having a business coach out there to look at what's going to work in the future. We look at the short, medium and long term where we can make profit and, and what sectors we think are going forward. Yeah, it's, you know, I've known the business for a long time and uh, I can remember back when, you know, it was just your dad and mum and, uh, you know, they were really focusing on what they knew, but now there's... Um, your home and, and you studied at La Trobe Uni, studied ag science, uh, but also you've got Simon and Michael home. So you've got a full team of, uh, 
of brothers and family on the business. But what are the sort of some of the things that you've seen happen since you've come home that probably added to what your dad and and uh, and your grandfather were doing on the farm? Um, yeah, so I came back in November 2014, um, and back then, you know, cows were worth a dollar twenty to send to the market. Um, the wool price was a lot lower. I remember sitting in the pub and talking about the EMI. If it was at twelve hundred cents, then that we consider that was the sustainable level for us to be wool growers. Um, so obviously, on probably really around that 2015, when that drought broke through 2016, a lot of the commodities have, have nearly doubled or or been really strong from then. So probably the main shift from the way Dad, who was brought up through the 80s with you know 15 to 20 percent interest rates, um, where cost was a really big part of the business and and keeping that cost of reduction down, is to we've sort of moved into a different era where um, to spend a little bit more money on uh, fertilizer or feeding um, like our feed bills now I'm sure granddad would be horrified at um, but we've getting the production out the other side as well as having the markets um, that are profitable out the other side so yeah the, the way that the conversations moved in terms of uh, our cost structure and and what's profitable on farm has changed dramatically from when I've come home to what it is now. Now you you mentioned that um, you know there's a real love of merinos and I, I know way back in the day, um, uh, your dad and his brothers were, were well renowned for having a Merino stud. Um, that's continued, but it's, but we know it's, you know, you've modified and changed that and modernised it. Um, but the, um, you know, the Merino has been really a stalwart of that air, of your area, that Balmoral red gum area. Um, I was looking back, the, um, you know, the, the market has changed a lot. You've, you've now added in though some, you know, some technical data and measurements that uh, you apply that probably weren't the things that, that were looked at in previous generations. Just want to talk a little bit about your selection process for the Merinos. Yeah, so when I came home, um, obviously younger people are probably a lot more data-driven than what the uh, my parents and the, uh, their generation were. So we went straight on to ASPVs back in 2014 um, and it was really around the annoyance I had with people saying that sheep from the Western District were didn't have any growth. Uh, they were just small little fine wools that didn't rear a lamb. Um, so ASBVs are a great tool for us to prove um, the genetic potential of the sheep um, and takes the environment out of it. So yeah, we bring in four or five different AI size from around the, around the country as well as putting our sheep into a side evaluation to really road test our ASBVs to get the accuracy right up. Um, but yeah, we're putting huge selection pressure on growth, fat and muscle, um, and the amount of number of lambs wean we get now as well. So yeah, we're, we're running our sheep through MateCell, which is a computer program to um, do our joinings. Um, we're doing structural um, measurements as well as ASBVs for growth where we birth weigh. We're doing maternal behaviour scores to try and really increase the, and the robustness of our, um, our reproductive data. Yeah, so we're, we're trying to really road test that merino to get that genetic package where it can perform that when we put that good feed underneath it uh, and, and the good times are there through the springtime, that we can really cash in and get some production out the other side of that. Yes, now I know um, that you were fortunate in, in AWI sponsoring you to do a Nuffield scholarship. Um, do you just want to tell us what that was about and, and why you chose that topic and what sort of what do you think it might lead to 
Yeah, obviously being passionate Merino people um, and having a good relationship with yourself, Rob. Um, you know, I came home to a, a flock that was had gone from 180 million back to 70. Um, the amount of people locally, um, composites have really taken taken a hold down in the Western Districts uh, and cropping as well through the through the, the Mallee and and the Wimmera um, and a lot of areas like that had gone out of sheep into cropping or into prime lambs of beef. So yeah, our own benchmarking and that at home um, as uh, in our benchmarking group and that said that Merinos were profitable, profitable and you look through the New South Wales DPI um, benchmarking figures and and the, the dual purpose Merino has been profitable the whole way through. So I was really trying to capture on what what was happening in the industry and what we needed to do. I wanted to try and find the three main things um, that the Merino industry wanted to do to stay... Um, stay a prominent feature in the Australian farming landscape, really. To So, yeah, just to try and turn it around a little bit. And and do you think, are you optimistic about the future of the Merinos then? Because, I mean, in your business, you're, you're saying, well, look, they've been profitable. And we and, and that's been well re, well reported. You know, people like Graham Lane, Home Sackett have been saying this for a long time. But at the same time, we're, we're seeing the Merino flock struggle to hold its numbers. In fact, you know, it has been declining over a period. Yeah, um, actually, to me, the outlook is good. And I was tearing my hair out a lot at why people were, were leaving to cropping and, and to prime lambs. Um, it was really just the pub talk, a lot of it. And it's probably been a reflection on um, some of the things we've done in the industry that we haven't quite got on top of, um, some of the you know the, the issues out there, as well as we probably haven't solved the, the dual purpose nature of the Merino well enough. And we, as a industry, we've probably been a little bit slow to to take up some of the um, the innovations out there. Yeah, look, I think they're really good. They're really good points. So um, you've mentioned a couple of times the word dual purpose in talking about your merinos, and um, you know the mutton is, is a big part of it nowadays. Uh, being able to sell weather lambs uh, if if you've got merinos, or, or at getting some prime lambs out of your merinos. I just note that uh, we go back to talking about February 2019, the mutton indicator back then was 406 cents. And this week it's closed at, um, you know, 608 cents and got to almost 700. So there's there's a real incentive to have sheep that can reproduce themselves, uh, that can put on weight and can be useful for slaughter as well as the wool production. Yeah, absolutely. Um... I consider myself a sheep producer, not a wool producer. Um, so to me, it doesn't really worry me where the profit comes from. Um, so yeah, I'm having mutton go through the roof and, and our industry body, MLA, as well as the meat processors. Um, I know Fletcher Meats has done a lot of work there to try and to lift the profile of mutton. Um, yeah, they've got to have, they've got to be congratulated really for taking mutton to where it is um, because it's, it's a, yeah, having a quick, good turnover of our, flock structure, um, you used to not get paid for those old cast raised ewes, um, where now you really are getting paid um, both on the restocker market, but to cut the heads off as well in the, uh, in the mutton. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point, Anthony. And I think um, going forward, you know, as you mentioned, you, you want a dual purpose sheep, but one of the other things that, that, needs, that needed to be addressed in the marino industry was... Um, lamb percentage or lamb survivability. Can you just tell us some of the things, some of the selection tools that you're using and to put pressure on that and try and improve that area? Yeah, so probably the main one is that we, we're submitting 
number of lambs wean data and reproduction data into into sheep genetics, um, as well as we've been birth weighing our merinos now for the last six years. Um, I did a, a lifetime ewe with a renowned um, composite breeder, and they've been birth weighing um, for 30 years, and they've been doing a maternal behaviour score, so sort scoring, sorry, how far away the, the ewe runs from the, the lamb at birth uh, and taking off those those poor mothers. And it's 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 not science to say that if you if you breed for reproduction and you, you select for it for 30 years, you're going to have better mothers and, and better lamb percentage at the, at the end of it. The Merino, on the other hand, has been bred for wool for 100 years because that's what's been profitable in that enterprise. Uh, but with the changing landscape in, in the meat side of it, some more pressure on the reproduction um, side of the Merino um, has been very profitable and is changing the game for the Merinos. Um, it's not uncommon to have 100 to 120% uh, lambs to use join now in a, in a Merino system. And you add on top of that a uh, $50, $60, $70 fleece. Um, it's an extremely profitable enterprise. And yeah, that reproduction is really driving um, selection pressure, generational intervals is shortening. Uh, and giving us more sales sheep out the other side, which is dramatically changing a Merino enterprise's bottom line. Well, we it's very easy for me to get sidetracked talking about wool and Merinos, Anthony, <laughs> but uh, you do um, you do have, uh, <laughs> I know talking to your dad, he said, uh, you know, I love my Merinos, but gee, I'm really passionate about the cattle now. Tell us a little bit about the cattle you're breeding. And... Um, and Olivia's made a note earlier in the program here that you've got a bull sale coming up, so you don't have to do an ad for the bull sale. We'll do that, Anthony. But um, <laughs> but just tell us a little bit about the cattle and and the type, because it's not your normal Western District cattle breed that you're operating under. No, uh, so a, a Red Angus Centipole Composite, um, and the main thought behind that is is we want to supply um, cattle to the north. A lot of it. Um, when you look at a map of Australia, I think there's 56% of cattle in Australia in Queensland. So um, if you want to sell a lot of bulls and, and sell uh, large quantities, go where the, sell something that where the cattlemen are. Um, so that's the, that was the fundamental behind it. Um, but the, the centre poles are, are a bit different to the other um, ones. They're still a flat-backed um, cattle. They've got what we, is known as a slick gene, um, which is only in the centre poles. Um, it allows them to go into heat tolerance so that they, the internal um, body temperature runs a degree cooler. Um, they're parasite resistant so they can go up into the tick country. And we're really about in, infusing that slick gene into uh, the red Angus or the Angus, um, which has obviously got well-recognized traits uh, for fertility and, and eating quality and those type of things. So we're really just, um, we can genetically test for the slick gene now um, in New Zealand through Livestock Improvement Company. Um, so we're really, while the centre pole is good in a lot of ways, we're slowly breeding the centre pole out of the composite. Um, so we're getting animals that are 60%, 70% Angus or Red Angus now that are carrying two copies of the slick gene. Um, and there's no downside to it, the slick gene. Um, so a lot of our cattle go across Brahmins or Santa Cruz and, and they're taking that hump height off straight away, which is, um, which is where the eating quality is derived from in the, in the northern um grids so yeah it's just given those northern people a few more options um whether it's live export into into indonesia or vietnam they, ha they haven't got any hair on them so they're still fitting that as well as giving them southern feedlotter markets so yeah we think we're onto a, a bit of a niche product but one that we can see fit across a large part of australia and across the world 
Now, I was fortunate uh, earlier this week, I came up to your area before we got locked down here in Ballarat. Um, and, uh, and we had a bit of a look around. You know, this is the right time to be looking at your country because it's really firing. But I was really interested to note that the cattle that you just talked about, the cattle you've described, which are, which are coming out of a Western District's winter, were looking in very good shape as well. So obviously they're cattle that can, you know, you, you're targeting a bull sales in the north. They certainly perform in the south as well. Absolutely. We don't see any downside to having the slick gene into the cattle. Um, we're trying to breed some that are Angus as well because, yeah, at the internal body temperature, um, it increases the amount of time that they're, uh, they're grazing hours outside. So um, even here in the Western Districts, I think the onset of heat stress in cattle is 28 degrees. So it doesn't matter where you are in Australia, there's still a lot of days that are over 28, um, as well as they just naturally shine up a little bit better. So when we've sent um, cattle to market, um, just... Yeah, those ones that have got that little bit of centre pole or that slick gene in them just visually um, prepare a little bit better. They don't have that woolly um, coat sometimes through the winter. So we're picking up an extra 15 to 20 cents a lot of times, even though there's no more fat cover or, or carcass weight there. They just have that nice um, finish that the buyers the buyers are chasing. Well, Anthony, I know you've uh, you've dragged yourself away from uh, Merino Ram classing today or <laughs> Ram selection for your, for your sale coming up in November. Um, but I'm sure you've left that in good hands with Tom and Dad over there. They're, they're the, uh, the Merino legends, of course. But thank you very much for, uh, for coming on board today. Thanks very much for being involved with Mercado over a long period of time and, uh, and certainly as sponsor from our first podcast and then regularly since then. Um, we really enjoy having the relationship. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope we can continue for some time yet, Anthony. Yeah, no, and just probably before I go, I'd like to obviously thank the Mercado team because um, in the past, you would have got a lot of our intelligence on what's happening around the markets and around the world um, from journalists who, to their credit, they were doing the best job they can, but no one was really going into depth and looking at the markets like, like you guys are. So, um, you know, it's made our business a lot more robust and, and without, yeah, it has made us a lot of money being able to pick the markets and, and knowing which way they're going in the future. So... I don't think that we'd be able to do our job as a as an intergenerational farming business as well as what we are, have in the last sort of 10 years without the Mercado team. So, yeah, massive thank God to you guys. Well, thanks, for Anthony. I'll have to send you a bigger check now, but uh, thank <laughs> you very much. And uh, look, all the best for your bull sale, which is coming up, and Liv will give the details of that. And then there's a ram sale in November, but we might talk about the ram sale closer and, uh, and give people a bit of a heads up on, on what's happening there. So all the best. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Rob. Cheers. Wow, what a wrap up. Now, thanks, Anthony and Rob, for this episode. And thanks, listeners, for tuning into another episode of Commodity Conversations. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it around to your network, family and friends, and also leave us a review or rating on your podcast platform of choice. Until next time, stay safe and have a great week. Mm-hmm.